Good morning. Welcome to Catalyst. Really glad you came to join us uh, to worship all together as a Catalyst family. Um, we're going to continue with our series through the book of Acts this morning. Um, but before we get into the text, I want to uh, invite Ruth Akoshi up here. She's going to share a little bit about the, a journey she's been on. And uh, you know our Catalyst mission statement is to be... Uh, to help people be all they're created and called to be in Christ. So she's going to kind of share a little bit of her kind of journey to kind of do that. So uh, why don't you welcome Ruth. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, good morning, Catalyst family. Um, gosh, okay, if I talk really fast, it's because I'm really excited and I have to try and get through this in five minutes. So <laughs> um, I'm just super excited to share my journey um, in search of God's calling for my life because it's been kind of an up and down kind of thing, like, oh, let's try this, let's try that. But I just pray that this would be an encouragement to each and every one of you. And if you're listening on the podcast later, that it would still do the same. So um, just to give a little background, um, I was bullied as a kid, and so I became a loner uh, with really low self-esteem. So... Um, and as an adult, I struggled with clinical depression several times and actually weaning off uh, medication right now. Um, but I'm doing really good. Um, but I found out that some of this, uh, like, little things that I had, is like, gosh, I was really easily offended. And I got my feelings hurt very easily. Um, and then I know that, you know, the staff has been talking about PMTs, prayer ministry. It's like, you know, I went through several of those. Um, Bethel Church has a ministry called Sozo. I went through several of those. Um, and, you know, at various churches, I even went to Hawaii to Jean Fujishima's church, unified, got prayer over there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I never going to, like, find my calling or feel better? Um, but then also I was showered by love by so many of the Catalyst family and also extended family um, through various churches that we partner with, you know, and, you know, I've been to gatherings and meet international family. Um, but did you know, and I know some people have said this, but did you know that the areas of our greatest giftings are usually the areas that the enemy attacks us the most? And so I felt like at a very young age, you know, the enemy knew it's like I was meant for something more, and he wanted to keep me down. Um, John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, not me, I, God, have come that we may have life and that we will have it more abundantly. That's what God wants for us, despite the evil in the world. Um, and then I realized, you know, my personal mission statement has always been to make a positive difference in people's lives. And early on, I thought that was because I grew up playing basketball from, like, fourth grade all the way up. I played college. Um, I coached in college. And I wanted to give back. And I knew I wasn't going to be a professional athlete anywhere. I didn't play Division One, you know, not on TV and all that stuff. But I had a lot of um, uh, fundamentals and skills I wanted to pass on to young women. Um, 
and I, I coached, I volunteer coached at like Chapman University for a little while. I went to Pat Summits for those of you who follow college women's basketball. Um, you know, she won eight national championships. I coached at her summer camp for seven years, but I feel like that um, season is over. And um, I still love basketball, but it's just kind of, all right, what's next, Lord? Um, and so I started writing down and talking with people about what are my giftings. It's like, okay, I enjoy connecting with people. I enjoy connecting others together. I'm organized, detail-oriented, responsible. Unfortunately, I think my highest strength finder is responsible. I think someone heard that. They're like, oh, have mercy on us or have grace on us. Um, and I stand for the truth. And it's just I, it, I have a hard time lying. And so I just, you know, why lie? Just, just tell the truth and you don't have to cover it up later. Um, so I don't know if you guys remember, but on January 22nd, Barry's action step really gave me the kick in the pants that I needed. <laughs> but I think it was really God's timing as well since I was, I was ready for it. So he said, um, and he challenged us, quote, ask someone you respect what their perspective of God's calling is for you. So immediately I started asking some people, starting to ask some people. And just to let you know, I mean, I've served in different ministries. You know, some of you know me better than others. But, um, you know, I like some things. Some things stuck. Some, some things didn't. But I was like, oh, you know, I... What's that, like, one thing that I can really sink my teeth into, get that warm, fuzzy feeling, like, yes, this is me. Um, so I've been, like, searching for that. Um, so, and, and so I struggled that I didn't fit anywhere in the church. And I'm like, gosh, where, where is my place? It's like, I, I don't know. Everybody has their stuff, and I, I, don't, I don't know where mine is. So um, lucky, luckily, Barry, and some of you know Dave Hino from the Light Fellowship, they both encouraged me, like, years ago um, that my ministry would be global. I said, I don't know what that means, but, you know, how things happen, prophetic words. It's like, okay, well, you know, just kind of wait on the Lord and see what happens. So, um, mm, yeah, I'll leave that up. Um, <laughs> oh, so you guys also might have heard, like, you know, God created us. God didn't create us to fit in. He created us to stand out, to be the salt, to be the light. Um, and so what I realized a few weeks ago is that I just need to keep being me, just be more intentional. So Barry gave me um, permission to share what he told me because this I was like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect, and I'm so sad he's not here. So, Dale, you can tell him. But, um, and I also realized I met Barry 20 years ago this month, and I'm trying to think, maybe only Sam was there at SoCal Retreat, Lon Morata's Career Young Adult Retreat. It was the last one at Canyon Meadows. So um, we instantly connected, and Nexus started, and all that stuff. So anyways, Barry said, I know you hesitate to embrace this, but I think the Lord has gifted and equipped you to lead some type of team to impact people in need. It also seems like the scope of your calling is beyond the confines of our church. It may be with a team or teams within the church. However, it seems the scope of your calling is significantly beyond our church to impact lives. So as a result, I feel like my primary calling is to partner with charitable organizations. I feel called to be involved with projects 
and that inspire me and to invite others to join me and come alongside me. So with that, Sid, if you wouldn't mind putting up. Um, some of you might have seen the email in the weekly Catalyst emails um, and also on the Catalyst locker room. Um, I started getting involved with this organization called NEGU, which is Never Ever Give Up. It's the Jesse Reese Foundation. Um, she was 11 years old when she was diagnosed with an inoperable brain cancer. And so she went through several, a lot of treatment, um, um, but she was able to go home. And so she asked her parents, like, what happens to the kids that have to stay in the hospital? And she goes, I want to do something for them. So instead of, you know, just kind of wallowing on her own situation, she put together um, all these things that now have turned into joy jars, which is her favorite, like stickers, stuffed animals, little toys. Um, and they created a, a foundation for her. Unfortunately, she died like a year later at 12 years old, but they have kept up the foundation. So she would have been 20 years old this year. So the weekend of April 5th and 6th, they're going to celebrate her birthday uh, with, by having 20 hours of filling joy jars. Um, I am only available on Saturday in the afternoon, but um, they're going to post sign-ups uh, on their website. Um, and I think the link to the website is actually on the weekly emails as well, um, that uh, you can sign up. The, the, sorry, the signups are going to be posted starting March 1st. So, and it's first come, first serve, and it gets really, really popular. So, if you're interested, sign up right away. Some people have already contacted me. Those of you who have, I've included you in our 20 to 25 group for one hour and only one hour. So, um, if you go to the next slide, some people have asked a bunch of questions, and I actually need to get closer. Um, okay, uh, what are the one-hour shifts? So it, it says, I don't know if you guys want to take a picture. I can put it on the Facebook page. Um, but minimum age. So they prefer 12 years old, but if you really want to bring smaller children, then a, someone has, adult has to accompany them because it's just kind of an assembly line. You're putting it all together. And they're very particular about how you put together because it's all about the kids. Um, does NEGU accept donations during the 12, 20 hours? Yes, they accept donations, but also this year they're encouraging each person to bring $20 um, to meet their goal of raising $20,000 for Jesse's 20th birthday. Um, is there an online waiver? Yes, it's on their website. And can people sign up for more than one hour? So they try to limit it to one hour just to give more people, as many people, the option to sign up. But if you know, towards the end, if there's, um, they're, they're lacking signups, they'll reach out to people like me or people with larger groups who've inquired. So um, you can get a hold of me, or if you want to go at a different time, you can sign up yourself. And so just in conclusion, I just wanted to encourage each one of you to, number one, know your identity in Christ. I mean, we've been talking about it since what, day one, right, Sam? And then second, seek healing in the areas of your life that God is highlighting to you. If there's something like, oh, you know, I don't want to talk about that, or oh, you know, gosh, that's been bugging me. Um, and then just keep being you and just be more intentional in the giftings God's planted in you. So thank you.
Thanks, Ruth. I really appreciate her uh, kind of just sharing her journey with us and to see like it's a, it's a progress, right? And I think we're all kind of walking the same kind of journey together too, to really experience life to the fullest. And at Catalyst, this is one of the things that I really feel strongly about is that the Christian life is supposed to be good and not like really draining and hard and boring and all the other things that we might experience, but the Lord gave us this life to bring us more life. And uh, really appreciate Ruth sharing her journey about how God has kind of led her to this place too. And uh, it's interesting, as she kind of steps out into her calling, it opens up other opportunities for us to experience too. So as she does this and provides opportunities like this, then it gives all of us different opportunities to kind of do that and to participate in that and be a part of that. And then for God to open that up in us as well. So I really want to encourage you to, to check that out, to be a part of different things and to try things, right? To really try things and to be open. Um, well, actually, Ruth's, Ruth's journey is actually, uh, in her calling, is something we're going to look at this morning in Acts chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 13. Um, we're going to look actually at verses towards the end. We're going to look at 42 to the end. But before we do that, I want to give a little bit of context. So the context to the story, we'll look starting in verse 2. So it's talking about the church in Antioch, and it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Okay, so just to kind of jog your memory, I think we put this map up a couple times, but let's look at the map of Paul's. This is his first missionary journey. Okay, so if you look on the, the right side, on the east side, you see Antioch with the little star there. Okay, that's going to be his home church. This is his sending church. So all of his missionary journeys, he's going to leave from there, and he's going to eventually come back here. So he starts there at the star, and then he's going to go down to the island of Cyprus, Okay, that's what we see here in verse 4. And then he's going to go up into Asia, and he's going to go uh, to Perga, and then he's going to go up into another Antioch. This is Phrygia Antioch, which is a different place. We're going to see that in verse 13. Okay, so let's look at verse 13. Okay, so from Patmos, which is the island, Paul and his companions sailed to Pergam, and then in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Okay, so that's the other region up here. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Okay, so let's kind of set the scene. So he's up there uh, in Phrygia, Antioch. He goes to a synagogue. Okay, so he's going to a Jewish synagogue. He's going there like a service like this. So he's at a service like this, but it's at a Jewish synagogue. Okay, they finish the service and they ask this visitor, Paul, do you have any word for us? Any encouragement? 
Well, I'm glad you asked, he said. So he comes up and he takes the stage and he's ready to give this message. Okay, so we're not going to go into the whole thing. Pastor Barry actually went over it the past couple weeks. But he starts going into this message where he gives the history of Israel and gives an account and he walks through the Old Testament. Okay, we're going to look at, fast forward that, and look towards the end of his message he's giving. Okay, let's look at verse 38. Okay, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that, though Jesus, that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care of what the prophet has said it does not happen to you. Okay, he's quoting from Habakkuk. He says, look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never even believe, even if someone told you. Okay, so he goes through the historical account of the Old Testament. Then he ends with this. Okay, so you have to keep in mind the context. That's why we look back. He's there in a Jewish synagogue in their service on the Sabbath day, giving this message to the Jewish people when he says in verse 39 that it's through Jesus you'll be justified, justified, not through the law of Moses, not through all the things that you're believing, not through all the things that you're trusting your life in, not the, all the things that you've devoted yourself and have faith in. Jesus is the only way, not those things. Not those things that you follow, all the traditions that you follow, all the culture that you follow, everything that your family believes and everything you've had for all your generations. That's not going to give you salvation. That's not going to give you a connection with God. That's not going to give you a relationship with God. He's telling them all these things. Then he says, I'm going to warn you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe. This is how he ends his message to the Jews in their synagogue during one of their services. Okay? Then we come to our passage for this morning. What happens? What's the response going to be? As Paul in verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Now, this seems kind of strange to me, right? When you think about the context of what's happening here, okay? He's giving this message to all these devout Jews on their Sabbath, during their service, in the synagogue. Like, imagine that. Imagine you are invited, you and some friends are going to the synagogue, are you going to a mosque, are you going to some place, they're having them serve some service, they're saying, hey, we have some visitors here, would you want to come share something? You come up to the front and you share in front of everybody this message that Paul's going to give. You know, everything you believe, that's not true. Everything you believe, that's not going to give you salvation. But look at the response that Paul and Barnabas get. When you look at the word, it says, people invited them to speak further about these things on the next episode. That word invited in the Greek, is, this is actually very strong. Okay, It has a sense of like urging and actually, when you look at the New, uh, New Living Translation, they translate this word, begged. They were begging them to come back again. 
Now, this strikes me as really strange. Like, this is not the kind of response that I would imagine if I were to be in that situation and, and giving a message in front of all these Jews or for Muslims or for whoever that's going to be and telling them this kind of message, that you're going to tell them the gospel and you're going to tell them the truth, that their way, the way of belief is not right. But look at their response. They're begging them to come back on the next Sabbath. Verse 43, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the, Jew, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas around, and while they were with them, what did they do? They were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, on the next Sabbath day, the next Saturday when they came, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So not only did they invite them and were really excited, they're so excited about the message that they gave during the, the synagogue, they went out and told everybody. They told all of their friends and all of their neighbors and everybody in the community so that when Paul and Barnabas come back the next Sabbath day, they says almost the whole city is jam-packed in the synagogue to hear this message. What's going on here? This doesn't compute to me. How, why are they getting so excited when Paul is basically telling that everything you believe, all the law of Moses, all the things in the Old Testament, that's not good enough. What you believing, that's not going to bring you salvation. This is not the response I would imagine to happen. What's happening here? Well, I think when we look at the response of what's happening and I was thinking about my own response and trying to imagine myself in this situation, I think that there is one thing that got highlighted to me in this passage, and it's found in Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it for you, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, than to the Gentile. I think this doesn't make any sense to us. This is not logical. This doesn't, under, we don't have any kind of understanding why we could have this. Because this is the power of God. The gospel message, the truth about who Jesus is and the gospel message has power. It has this kind of power that confounds human logic and human understanding. There's no way you should have this kind of response when you're preaching in a Jewish synagogue that they would have this overwhelming response that gets them so excited they're evangelizing for Paul and for Barnabas, bringing people and inviting them out to the synagogue to hear the gospel again. It doesn't make any sense. In human logic and human understanding, it doesn't make any sense. How do we understand what's happening? It's because the gospel of Jesus has power. It has power. And I wonder, and I'm wondering aloud because I know this is true for me, I'm wondering if this is the way we think or this is what we believe when we share our own faith. When we share our faith and we talk to other people about our faith and about Jesus, or if we share with people about the gospel, do we believe that what we're carrying has this much power? Do we believe that what we're giving and what we're demonstrating, what we're sharing, has this much power, this kind of power to transform 
groups of cities and transform the lives of all these people, transform the life of the world. Do we believe we're carrying this kind of power? Do we believe that the message that we have has this kind of power? It's like if you're carrying around like a stick of dynamite or you're carrying around like, I've been watching a lot of spy things, about this nuclear, nuclear uh, bomb or something, you're carrying around this thing in your ashatay case and then you're sharing this with other people. Like, imagine if you're carrying like a nuclear bomb. How would you kind of act? Or how would you carry this? What are you thinking when you're sharing this with other people? Do you feel like you have something really powerful on your hands? Do you feel like you have something like the power of God within your disposal? That that's what you're sharing? That when you're sharing your faith, when you're sharing about the gospel, that it has power in itself? Or are you thinking, which is true about me, is, or are you thinking about yourself? Because I think a lot of times what makes evangelism and sharing our faith difficult is because we think about ourselves. We think that we're going to do it. How do I say this right? How do I do this? How do I approach this person? How do I, oh, maybe I could do this, or maybe I could try to do that. Maybe I could do me, 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 me. No wonder we don't feel like we have power. No wonder we feel so hesitant. No wonder we feel we don't have boldness. No wonder we feel like we need to get more training or we need to be more equipped. And all of that stuff, all that line of thinking is the wrong type of thinking. All that line of thinking is, I need to read more books. I need to get more trained. Is doing what? Is having it focused more on you. I think the problem is, and I know I'm speaking to me as well as to, for those that are relating is that's not where the power is. The gospel message is the power of God. It's not us that's the power. It's the gospel that's the power. We're just the messenger who is able to deliver it. And I think if we can have this mindset shift, it is a mindset shift that we need to have. It's God that's going to be doing it, not me. And this has power. And you know what? You know what I was thinking about? It's really interesting because a lot of times we're thinking about wanting to share something, but we're afraid. We're afraid because we're going to get some kind of reaction. We're going to get a rejection or people are going to get really upset. And I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. Sometimes it, does. Sometimes it doesn't happen, right? And you think it's going to happen and you're really surprised, right? So I know that that happens, but sometimes... You will get that, right? And I've had, I've had that before where I've shared with different people, especially with some strangers, and I get a very strong reaction. Like, no, why are you sharing that stuff? Da, 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 and then bleep, 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 all this other stuff they're saying to me, and I get a strong reaction, right? And a lot of times that's kind of a deterrent to us. But I was thinking about it again when I was preparing for this message, and I was thinking, this is really actually proof that you're carrying something powerful, when you get a powerful reaction, it's because you're sharing something powerful, right? You're not sharing something trivial. If you just shared something trivial with somebody, hey, I have something to share with you. You know, did you know that oil is the most expensive liquid on earth? I want to share this news with you. Do you think you're going to get the kind of reaction, oh my gosh, why are you sharing that with me? I can't believe you would share that with me. What's wrong with you? Don't you know anything? Why would you share your belief about that thing with me? 
you're not going to get that kind of reaction. But if you share about Jesus, yeah, you'll get that kind of reaction. Why are you going to get that kind of reaction? Because it has power. It has power. The gospel message has power. And the fact when you see that kind of reaction, it's proof of that fact. You carry something that has power to transform people's lives. You carry something that could change someone's life forever, forever, their eternity forever. It has that power. You don't need to have that power. The gospel has the power. We need to know what we're carrying. The gospel is power. It has the power. We need to receive it, believe it, and then we could share it. When you look at what happens with Paul and Barnabas here, this is what's happening in Acts 42 to 44. They're sharing the gospel. That's all he does. He doesn't do anything else. He just shares the gospel. Look at the response he's getting. The whole city is gathered. But in verse 45, we see when the Jews saw, that the, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. He says, we had to speak the word of God to you first since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of God spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region so that they shook off their dust from their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you see several things happening in this last part of the passage. Okay, first, they're going to face opposition. Okay, so they're facing opposition to the message here. And it's interesting because when they face opposition, you look at their response. When they face the opposition, they come back boldly and say, okay, if you don't want to receive this, other people want to receive it. Okay, and you do see that. You see the other Gentiles in the region, they're happy to receive it. And when they receive it, what, what's the result that happens? It says everyone in the whole region starts to, the gospel starts spreading to the whole region. So it's interesting when you look at the response of what happens is that first initially there's this great response, but then they start facing opposition. And I think the, the thing that we see here is a question that we can ask ourselves too is when we face opposition, when we try to do things, when we face failure, when we face hurdles, when we face obstacles, what is going to be our response? You see Paul and Barnabas, what their response was, that they remained confident. Okay, They remained confident and bold and said, we're going to stick to our guns. We're not going to pull back and be apologetic, but we're going to say, this is what we believe. And if you don't want to receive it, whoever wants to receive it, I want to share that with you. When we look at their response, I think it's really telling because I think that there's a couple things highlighted here when we look at their response. One is, um, 
a lot of times when we look at the, these about things about sharing about our faith, I think we always have in our mind uh, who we think is going to be open or not open. Okay, who we think is going to be open or not open. And a lot of times, it's not who we think. Okay, it's interesting here because um, we look at what's, what they're sharing here, and they're sharing about the gospel, and it's actually these Gentile people that they're the ones who receive. When the people who are actually following God and believing the God of the Old Testament, they're not willing to receive what Paul and Barnabas are saying. So when we look at what's happening here, I think that it's important for us to really recognize what we see here is that when we have this message and we have these things and we face opposition and we're facing opposition, that really the one that what we need to see is that God is in control. That God is in control. And I think this applies not just with evangelism, but this applies into our life in general. Is that when we face opposition and we face different things that we're facing failure and trying different things, I think that one thing it does is that it reveals our foundation. And it reveals what we're trusting in. You see with Paul and Barnabas, you see that they're trusting in Jesus and trusting in the power of what they're carrying, so they're able to be bold. But what's true about us? What things are we facing right now when we're facing opposition? Things that you feel like the Lord wants you to do, or things that you are having in your life, and different things that are not going well, different relationships, different things at work, or, or projects, or things that are going on in our lives, different emotions that we're dealing with, different problems that we're dealing with. I think when we're faced difficulty and face opposition, it really reveals our foundation. It really reveals where our focus is. It really reveals what our priority is, what we're thinking and what we're relying upon. It re really reveals those things. Are we going to be like Paul and Barnabas, who it just uh, brings out another sense of being confident in the Lord and to respond that way? Or do we have a feeling of dread? Or do we have a feeling of anxiousness? Or do we feel depressed? Or do we feel all of these other negative things? Do we feel like when we face these things and face opposition and face struggles, do, what's our first reaction? Is it to try harder? Is it to strive more? Is it to work harder? Is it to discipline ourselves more? Is it to try to get sleep or try to have a vacation to renew ourselves, to, to strengthen ourselves, to try to go harder, to try to do more, to try to accomplish more, to try to do it with less sleep, to try to rearrange our priorities, to try to do all of these things, to try to carry more of the weight, to try to carry the responsibility, to push through, to persevere, to do all of those things? Is that our response? Or is it to trust more? Or is it to stop carrying it? To see that God, has needs to, God needs to be the one to do it. Just like we see in this passage that God isn't the one in control. Paul and Barnabas aren't in control. God's in control. And are we experiencing that? Is that our response when we go against something that's hard? Is that our response when we go against something that we've been battling for a long, long, long time? When we face opposition, when we face difficulty, it reveals our foundation. It reveals what our focus is. It reveals where we're putting our trust in. Are we putting it in ourselves? Are you going to work harder? Are you going to try to work smarter? 
Or are you going to lay it down? Are you going to trust in Jesus? Are you going to trust in the one who loves you? Are you going to trust the one who saved you? Are you going to trust in the one who has your life? Are you going to want to trust the one who's at the center of all things? Are you going to trust where's your power going to come from? Is it going to come from you pulling up your bootstraps? Or is it going to come from the one who's on the throne? The one who owns it all. The one who is Lord over everything, over every person, over every situation, over every circumstance, over every feeling, over all of our future, over all of our lives. Who are we going to get our power from? Who are we going to trust in when we face opposition? Who's going to give us the mentality to stand up and to be more bold? Who's going to give us the courage to stand up in faith? Is it going to be ourselves? Or are we going to say, I need to see you more. I need to believe in you more. I need to believe in your love for me. I need to believe in your sovereignty that you have everything under your control, that you're in control of every situation. I need to lay it down, and I need to trust in you. When we face opposition, it reveals our foundation. It reveals how we're thinking, what we're trusting in, what our mindset's going to be. Paul and Barnabas, they were able to respond and say, like, I know where my foundation is at, so I can continue with boldness because God is going to be doing it. What's the result? People got saved. These Gentiles got saved, and the region got saved. And I feel like that that's what God is wanting us to, to step up and say he wants us to mature and say when we're facing opposition and you feel the weight of it, we need to change our thinking. We need to change and have a different foundation that's not built on ourselves, that we're going to have more trust in God. Because he has something for us like this. He wants us to make an impact on people's lives, as Ruth was sharing. He wants us to love people, make an impact upon people, not just to survive. He wants us to thrive. He doesn't want us just to survive. And I feel like I experience it too. I feel like a lot of times I just feel like surviving. That's not the life that God called us for. That's not the life that he saved us for. It's not to survive. It's to thrive. It's to be who he created us to be and make a difference. But to make a difference, you've got to check your foundation. And your foundation has got to be about him. He's everything. He's everything. Jesus is everything. The gospel is everything. What he's done is everything. Not just one in a list of things, everything. He's not just one, one A is him and family is two and what? No, he's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He's everything. He's everything. We need to have a change in our mindset to check our foundation. He's everything. And I think that this is important because he wants us to live out this kind of life we got to have this foundation. we got to have this foundation. I'm going to pray and invite the worship team to come up.
So, Lord, I pray that you would turn our hearts to you right now. We want to turn our hearts to Jesus. And we want to declare this morning that you are our foundation. You are everything. And we just want to say we're sorry that we've made us at the center or other people the center or other circumstances the center. You're the center. We want to repent from that and turn around and declare this morning, you are the center. You are the center of everything. You are over everything. You're Lord of everything. You deserve our worship. You deserve our life. So this morning, we just want to say we love you because you loved us first. That's the gospel message. You loved us first. And so we pray that we'd receive that and declare that this morning. That would we declare your love for us and our love for you. Thank you, Lord. Just want to invite you to come now. Just be here amongst your sons and daughters. Come and receive our worship and our heart's desire for you to be more. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>